big, now even bigger, in honor of Forrest Gump's imminent IMAX release. What movie from 20 years ago-ish, 90s movie, would you want to see converted and re-released? And yes, I know big is not a 90s movie. I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Terminator 2 because you must respect its bigness. I'm Joanna Robinson. I'm going with speed to just see how big uh, Keanu Reeves' Harry Cajones are. <laughs> I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Waterworld because I think IMAX might be the twist we need to revise history. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going with Schindler's List because this screen, this 16-foot screen, could have saved so many more Jews. I don't know. Who wants? Who doesn't want the to list. see Schindler's now List? Now even longer. Gentlemen, <laughs> you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 37 for Tuesday, August 26, 2014. It's almost the end of summer, but we're not at the end of your iTunes reviews, says David, who's going to read some of them. Well, first of all, thank you all to pushing us over, for pushing us over our 100th rating. Uh, we, we, uh, we don't quite have 100 written reviews. We have more than 100 ratings, which is uh, a small milestone for us, so thank you. Uh, we have two new reviews to read this week. One from our new favorite listener, Wild Bill 7 who gives us one star, which is uh, the lowest, the lowest rating, I believe, <laughs> uh, and says, do they actually like watching movies? Most of the time, I don't, Bill, I have to say. <laughs> Super negative and whiny. Much better when Joanna Robinson is a girl. Oh, hey. no! There you go. Joanna, why do your fans hate us? So I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. I, I wish they wouldn't. I don't feel like that is a dig to Dave. I just feel like it's a compliment to Joanna. I just <laughs> wish they oh, wouldn't write anything absolutely. at all. Why? Why? It's a diss to us. It's, it's definitely a diss to us. I mean, I, all of these are a diss to at least me, but I think that one encompasses all of us together. Ugh. But on the flip side, we have a lovely review from Lena Haust, who says, An enriching discovery. Five stars. I first experienced Katie David and Patches engaging ramblings while waiting for the press screening of Life of Pi at the 2012 New York Film Festival. And wasn't totally I think I was surprised. in that line. Yes, Wait, was she, was she like listening to us? I think she was eavesdropping. You were, yeah, you, yeah. Were just, you were just name dropped. If you we were doing a live episode, and wasn't totally line. surprised when I discovered they did a podcast together. Oh, I <laughs> like, see. I people see. see us walking on the street, and they're like, I bet they I do bet a the, podcast those, together. Those people look like big enough jerks to record their conversations. <laughs> Sadly enough, they're right. Since then, I've enjoyed hearing the personalities clash in ways that make me wonderfully confused as to who I agree with most. Wondering whether David or Patches is the more sensible one, and being fascinated with their opinions regardless. Oh, this goes on for a long time. Uh, everybody brings something, blah, blah, blah. It's a podcast that will continue to inspire me. That's very nice, Lena. Whether I continue on with film criticism or seeking out contributing to film making. Either way, I hope you continue listening to the show. Thanks for the reviews, guys. And uh, leave us some more. We'll read them on the show next week. Pick it enough of Harry 
Harry Potter by going to Harry Potter World and rereading the books and rewatching the movies and paying for whatever $200 special edition thing Warner Brothers wants you to get. There's going to be a spin-off series or at least one movie, uh, probably a series, let's be honest. Uh, called, how could it not? Uh, how could it not? How could it fail? Uh, I'm trying to envision How could a world Sin City 2 work. fail, Patches? <laughs> That's so true. You're what right. logic is there in this world anymore? Uh, anyway, there's going to be at least one movie called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which if you're not a Harry Potter fan, I mean, it's insane even if you are a Harry Potter fan. It is a spinoff of a series of books that were originally referenced as textbooks within the world of Harry Potter, then became these little standalone books. Uh, I am a giant Harry Potter fan. I've never read these books, so I don't have a ton of context here. Um, and they just hired David Yates to direct the first one. And David Yates directed the last four Harry Potter movies, I believe. Yeah. If you, yeah, because the last two were two movies. Um, and Joanna is our, I have given this very little thought, but as soon as Joanna said it, I thought it was 100% correct. It is by far the most boring choice imaginable. Joanna, why, why beyond being boring does this drive you crazy? I just, you know, they had an opportunity. We know what David Yates' version of this universe is, and people's mileage may vary on his take. I wasn't blown away by it, but even if you were, wouldn't you be interested in seeing someone else's vision? And also, since it is, you know, a prequel that is trying slightly to distance itself from Harry Potter while also being associated, doesn't it make sense to have a different artistic vision behind it? So I just, I really hate this decision. And that's not because I hate David Yates. I just think it, I just think it's terrible. <laughs> but, yeah, his movies are wonderful. I mean, I, I've loved his movies. Um, his Harry Potter Half-Blood movies? Prince or, is my okay. favorite. Yeah, his, his Harry Potter movies. I, I adore it's, them, and I'm, I'm in total... Daniel Radcliffe's loathes that film. Yeah, I heard that. That's really upsetting. Uh, and at least uh, his performance we, I think in a it. A few episodes ago, and by a few, I mean like months back, <laughs> uh, we ranked our Harry Potter films. Um, and I, w- I was just, my heart sank when I saw that Daniel Radcliffe hates Half-Blood Prince. But maybe because it's the most awkward and it's something he would rather put in his past as opposed to like battling Voldemort, which looks badass. Um, but David Yates has such a control on, on the small, intimate moments in those films and the big action scenes and the wizardry um but i'm done with that like i really wanted to kind of move on and if if this is going to be interesting it's not going to be another harry potter film right Right. i think you guys uh, see the reason i am totally okay with this decision is i think you guys uh have way more faith in the potential for these movies that has been earned uh given the the money-making blockbusters you know these things have to be um i think david yates is really the best uh, possible outcome here because you know that he's going to deliver something solid. Uh, it's going to fit within the confines of the Harry Potter universe, so it's going to feel like a, a genuine organic extension of that. Um, and given the unbelievable incompetence of most major <laughs> uh, Hollywood, like the people who are making films of this scale, yeah, uh, I, I just feel a lot, as someone who only has sort of a, a mild interest in the Harry Potter movies, but I do think that the movies, by and large, were better than the books in, in most respects. Um, that I, I would, I feel much more comfortable having him in the director's chair. I think, yeah, but I think you're dismissing the importance of the producers, like a guy like David Heyman, who mm-hmm. actually just produced Gravity and who was involved was with the board. spinoff, right? He's definitely involved with the spinoff, and he's been involved with the whole series. So we can't just talk about Harry Potter in the hands of David Yates being successful. Well, and there's a reason that all the of the of... Harry Potter films feel of, of a kind, even though you can sort of see the, the different hands of the directors involved. It's definitely a consistent vision that right. goes by the fact, you know, it goes back to the fact they're all written by, uh, at least the source material, at least was all written by one woman. But, um, you know, I think that the fact remains that 
David Yates can construct a, uh, a functional blockbuster, and that's more than you can say than pretty much anyone. Uh, it yeah, but the, the people that they've picked like, to make these movies have been different. I mean, we we will admit that Koran's film and uh, what's what I'm trying to remember the Mike Newell the fo- Mike Newell's Mike, film uh, yeah. Goblet of Fire Mike, is so uh, different Goblet than David fine. Yates. I, I like mean, Goblet of Fire. I know. I, that's I, so ask. Fan. Azkaban is my favorite, and I know that that's not sure. everyone's opinion, but that was my favorite, and that might sort of tip her hand as to why I care, because I feel like that was the biggest outlier in the series, and that's that was my favorite. It had the most, I thought, personality and stylish flair to it. And, and it felt Yates, like a shift of gears, right? Yeah. I just feel like the possible outcome of this movie, I just, you know, this is this is definitely a more cynical approach to it, but... Where I am in my life and with my interests, the window, <laughs> the possible window of, of what this movie is going to do for me is so narrow. Mm-hmm. It's such a small window between, like, it's going to be good enough and it's going to be, you know, exciting. Uh, and uh, two and a half hours that I will watch fondly when they repeat ad infinitum on ABC Family. <laughs> so what, what's the, uh, like, what's the non-cynical side of this conversation? As, what, I, I would for people who competent. are anticipating it. Um, I, I mean, I, well, I think myself, Joanna and Katie here are into this. I mean, I'm, I'm into it to some degree. I don't truly care about it. But I think it's the same thing that's made all the Marvel movies look and sound the same. It's the same thing that has, you know, they got rid of Christopher Nolan and hired Zack Snyder so he could, you know, stick around for 20 years to make it a consistent universe. Yeah. Like, it's hiring the same guy who made the movies, who made them look like the thing you love and take as little risk as possible to tie everything together. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I would be more surprised if they had hired someone different. And I don't want anyone, I don't want a, oh, I don't, you know, my feelings of Ryan Johnson are mixed, but I don't want a very promising filmmaker who has shown an interest in, in sort of developing other parts of his imagination to be limited by having to work on this trilogy or whatever it's going to be for 10 years of his life. I want a David Yates who's going to just do this. But clearly as his Potter has not been that. You're like, you're, you're applying your hatred for Marvel. Well, so the difference is, kind of I mean... Current- Blockbuster no, filmmaking. I don't, I don't think to, that the something that between a, the a series that's part, been totally the different. Potter films. I don't think the difference between the Potter films are significant. I mean, I think they're they're palpable. They're they're liminal, and they are interesting to a certain degree. But do they actually? I mean, the the stories get better. Harry Potter grows older. They had a kiddie director handle his younger years, and they had someone like Quaron finesse his transition. And then I think the best film is is the fifth one, which is David Yates' first. But does it really matter to me who direct? Like, I couldn't. You know, I'd have to sit here and think about who directed the seventh, the, the last two films in the, in the franchise. It just it doesn't really matter to me. And to go but back that's... to your point about the producer, this being sort of a producer's medium in a film of that scale, there's only so much wiggle room here. It's only, um, you know, you just need somebody who's going to deliver it competently. So that's, a, that's the point, is that David doesn't think there's a possibility for a great film. And so doesn't care. So would rather have like a workaday director who and not take who a, would deliver co- something he would hate. <laughs> I mean, whereas I'm like, why don't we try to get the best yes, and exactly. most interesting option we can so get? Who, who would you have hoped they would have hired? Well, I, well, I, I want to throw one thing out here because Mira Nair was a, a name that was out there for a long time uh, as to come on board. And I just think I would love to see a, a female director, someone who has this like worldliness to her films. She's done American films about very American people. She did Amelia, which is a snooze, but I mean, the script was Listen, it's, it's snooze to its bones. I would love um, to see a woman, especially But I like Vanity Fair. I like her adaptation of Vanity Fair. A step into I a like position her. like this. But Miranair sucks. <laughs> no, Miranair <laughs> does not suck. She doesn't suck absolutely that, like uh, that. That's the she thing. made one great movie, uh, Monsoon Wedding, and everything else is news, including You're too Vanity quick to Fair. write everything off. What, Joanna, Katie, who do you want to see? 
I mean, this sounds this sounds so awful, especially since we were kind of we were definitely knocking him last week. But I can't help but think if you say Fantastical Beast, I can't help but think about Pan's Labyrinth, and I would say uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, I know you're welcome. Uh, I did that just to make you sick. You're I mean, that's what I when I'm talking about these god awful directors stepping in. I mean, Guillermo del Toro is a now is now a name that is just toxic. Anything he's attached to is not going to be good and i just i don't trust him with movies i need these movies to be watchable because i'm no sitting on my couch i'm gonna have to watch them a hundred times over the next right exactly which is why it doesn't make any sense to to dismiss people like people with talent david yates has talent he is he you are underselling his uh contributions to the harry potter films he you know no i love david yates i I told you nailed he was perfectly uh manageable from the higher-ups no, more than adequate. I think that this is the, there's really only so much upside he could do given the confines of the material. And I think that you would have felt his inadequacies a lot more strongly than you would have his successes. And I think that it's often underestimated how much he's able to – and I say that as someone who doesn't even care for the last but two installments. For me, this Fantastic Beasts movie is basically uh, sidestepping the inevitable reboot of Harry mm, Potter. No. Let's like create original stories of this world and and spring off something completely new. Maybe it's a new trilogy, whatever. But you wouldn't hire the same guy to remake the same film again, uh, well, which see, is what this feels like. To me. But what's like what you said about Marvel? Like I think this is a symptom of what's happened. Uh, what we've seen happen with Marvel movies, but it, it's what Marvel movies have done have given me so little faith in what directors can bring to machines uh, of this size, these these behemoth movies, that I just find it better to just wish these perfectly functional filmmakers upon them and let the actual artists make actual art. Katie, did you have a, a name? Um, I haven't, I mean, truthfully, I hadn't, I kind of keep forgetting this movie is happening. I don't know, like, I... I know whenever anybody hears about some big thing, they always, you know, they wanted, you know, Joe Cornish to direct a Star Wars movie, or people wanted Ryan Johnson, who is directing a Star Wars movie, one of their favorite indie directors to tackle some giant property, and I almost <coughs> people into that meat grinder. I think maybe because I'm as cynical as David is, like these are systems that are not set up to honor directorial <coughs> visions, and I feel kind of realistic. About How are they not? Harry Potter is the one that like works. No, but they did at first, and then it they is started the boy moving who in. lives. Yeah, but then they started moving into a system in which they had the same guy to make the same movies that looked all the same, and I think that's exactly what they want. I don't think that I don't think they're the same franchise that hired Alfonso Cuarón. They figured out what they were doing, and the way that franchises work changed, and that's what they do now. Fantastic beast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm so fantastically cynical, but <laughs> I know maybe I just love the Harry Potter movies I, too much. I love and the I Harry Potter whatever books comes out, too much, like. and I think I always thought the, the movies, movies were are fine. But I don't, okay, and I don't think I love either because I'm I don't know just ever so slightly older than you guys. It might be that I don't love either of them as much as you do. I just still feel like <laughs> let's hope for the best option possible. And the cynicism I get, I get the cynicism. <laughs> But it doesn't the mean best that option I... possible is that nobody ever makes a movie that costs more than $100 million besides James Cameron ever again. And yes. everyone with any talent goes and makes things that are completely their own. Cool. Invite me back Maybe for the, the Avatar Beast discussion. can be the Navi. I'm so excited for Avatar 2. Oh, no. I, I no, no. No, no. What? All right, I will not accept this retroactive hatred of Avatar. For yeah, I am excited for Joanna, Avatar. Joanna, I didn't know you when, when Avatar came out. You might have hated it at the time. I did. I, I'll be hipster. I always hated Avatar. James Cameron has never done anything less than engrossing. So I'm I'm there. All right. I I feel like I stepped into something I didn't want to. 
But I will fight you. I'll fight. I'll come back and fight you all on Five Hundred Days of Summer and Avatar. Oh my god! <laughs> my unpopular opinions on both. So. marked FXX's beginning of their Every Simpsons Ever Marathon, a 12-day event in which they will air, you guessed it, Every Simpsons episode ever. Uh, all of us have varying degrees of interactions with The Simpsons, but our beloved Katie Rich is experiencing it in a way she never has before. <laughs> so we all, we all want to talk about the way in which not only this Simpsons marathon, but the way in which this really interesting experiment of this binge watch that everyone's participating in not everyone but a lot of people and how we're seeing it on social media and and what have you learned about the simpsons that you didn't know before this started let's start with katie um i mean the thing that got me to kind of jump on board this marathon and i had really been paying very little attention to it until it seemed like one day early last week everyone on my twitter feed was talking about this this marathon and i kind of realized that with very few exceptions, most of the people who I know and who I think are funny in real life love The Simpsons. And I think that's something that has been true for a long time, obviously, but I never noticed in this way. And then watching a good number of the episodes over the weekend, it's been a beautiful weekend in New York. I've spent most of it watching television, so you guys win. Um, <laughs> is watching these, seeing the way these jokes are structured and seeing the way that it really has infiltrated the sense of humor of the majority of people my age, which is something I intellectually knew without having t properly understood before this marathon. And I've been really glad to get to kind of go back to the origin and figure a lot of things out about just like what people find funny, including what I find funny, because I love a lot of shows that came from people who worked on The Simpsons and it all, it all ties together. I mean, for me, the, the big revelation, and this is something I always knew to be true, but it is, uh, I've never seen it in such a concentrated uh, and, and perfectly reflective form before is that The Simpsons and the glory years of The Simpsons pretty much informed my entire sense of humor. <laughs> like every, and, and I think that's true for a lot of people in our generation. But watching, uh, you know, all, mainlining really all of the episodes from between seasons like two and, and nine or ten or so um, when they were really at the height of their powers, uh, it, it's it's like seeing this very aspirational portrait of every you know every all the synapses in my brain everything that i find amusing every cadence and, and bit of timing and uh type of humor it's all this is all the blueprint for it and uh it's it's really also made it clear how impoverished the current state of comedy television is because <laughs> this is so i mean it's it's the funniest show ever made of course but it's also the funniest show ever made by such an incalculable margin um that it's i mean it's, it's something special and not something that you should expect to be uh you know duplicated in our lifetimes but it's still it's it's just pretty incredible to see and uh I'm finding it hard to turn the TV off. Although it'll be easier in the next few days when things get the. Truth. I know when we get to the later, the yeah. later seasons. I've uh, been clogging. When, my, when did you not? When I've did you stop my DVR watching? Like crazy, and basically only because I know that by you know Tuesday or show. I, I mean, probably it's hard to pinpoint, but probably like season 
like 12, 13, 14 is when I stopped watching it religiously. That's, I, like, I don't remember stopping. Ever. How about you, Patches? I, what have you learned from this? Or did you already know everything there was to know about <laughs> The Simpsons? Uh, well, first off, I don't have FXX. Oh, no. We so love having Patches, serious, that's why. like, oh, okay. FOMO <laughs> right yeah. now. Um, just freeze, just um, I also... Uh, yeah, I feel, I feel the chill. observations. Um, I've been thinking I will say I that... Which from, I don't. I don't oh. have an idea. Oh, patches, patches. We lost you for a long time. Oh God. You just jump okay, back. Okay, I'll make a note. Joanna back. said, "What about you, patches?" And then you were gone. Oh. Sorry, okay. Dave. Uh, I'll make a note of that. Um. Well, as I'm, I. I, I uh, okay. What did Joanna ask me? Here, she I'll said, say it again. About, okay, yeah. <laughs> um. Patches, I know you already knew everything there was to know about The Simpsons, but is there anything at all that you have gotten from this experiment, this social experiment? Yes. Well, as I, as I kind of mentioned, I was I was asking people about when they stopped watching, and I, it, you know, it came up to me in my mind. Like I don't know when I faded out of The Simpsons. I, I'm kind of back. I've been Hulu Plus makes it very easy for me to catch up on The Simpsons episode and check out when uh, I realize an episode's not working and I, I have to stop. But uh, I have been watching recent Simpsons, so I'm that guy again. But I'm not sure when I kind of, like, dipped. Maybe during college I stopped, even though all of my friends in college were obsessed with Simpsons and we watched all the DVDs all the time. Um, I also have serious uh, cable FOMO. Were your friends watching the new episodes then, too? Well, yeah. So I, I didn't really watch the new ones in college. I just watched reruns. And also I haven't been able to watch any of this uh, marathon because I don't have FXX. So I'm really just, like, removed from this marathon. But I, I, I'm, the old episodes are so ingrained, as David mentioned. It's part of my foundation as someone who likes funny things. Um, but I've had some stray observations. One, um, all the music is amazing. I owned all the Simpsons albums, and, like, just the, the music is something that's essential to the show and essential to my life. Um, even, even, like, the short little bursts of music. They did an episode where... Um, they they did spinoff shows and everybody everyone loves Ned Flanders is a great theme song and I just cherish that. Also, and the who, other thing, who oh, are these no. parents? These evil parents who hid this from their children? Who decided? Yeah, that how did you not watch this, Katie? I inappropriate. Really I mean, well, Katie, it, did, not, did your parents prevent you? From no, watching? not at all. I think I what I think what I realized is that I was kind of a I was kind of a pretentious little kid in some ways where I didn't like things. I think it was a result of having a little brother. Where I didn't like things that were like gross or like. Bart jokes boy or well, what kind of boy stuff? And I think the, the the kind of overuse of Bart Simpson in pop culture outside of the show kind of turned me off of it. And there are still things like there are things like you know jokes. There's a joke in Trials of Horror where they all turn themselves inside out at the very end of it and dance. And there's still a part of me that like even though I know it's funny, I still don't like it. Like it kind of feels well, gross to me. And it's not useful or an interesting way to look at culture. But I think that's what turned me off as a kid. Mm-hmm. Although. While setting my DVR, I did go back and like find like a ten episode run from 1994 that I know I had seen all those episodes. So I think I did watch a good amount of it. It just never, I never latched onto it the way so many other mm. people did. But the commercialization of Bart was super crass, and he is a pretty shitty character, at least as far as the humor goes. I mean, I think he's a, a crux of the heart of the show, but I mean, I think a lot of the jokes, catchphrases, even when they sort of doubled back to comment on their own catchphrases that they had spawned, it's it's some of the least 
interesting things uh, on the show. Um, it's and so I, I can separate. totally understand. The merchandise never felt intrusive at all. I just, I, I, I just like the realized, angling for it. I just realized that between the Ninja Turtles remake and the Simpsons thing, like Cowabunga is back in the lexicon <laughs> yeah. in a way that it hasn't been. Um, I love the music too. The story I want to tell about that is um, I watched The Simpsons mostly in college because my boyfriend was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with musicals as ever. And so our compromise for road trips was to listen to Simpsons music. That was like the great. And so every road trip we ever went on, we just listened to Simpsons music. And I love it. Do you have a favorite? Is it Scorpio? (laughs) No, it it might either be Monorail, which is a great Music Man uh, ripoff, or the Streetcar Named Desire musical, or, um, Which I just watched this afternoon, by the way. That was, it was uh, so good. Was really or, fun. or we put the spring in Springfield is also oh, a great so song. So good. Um, Although I like the uh, the the garbage man. The garbage man came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he does it with a smile. Or, or Linda Rodstad singing you. the like Mister Plow. Um, oh, Mister Plow song <laughs> and the mo- the monorail song. Yeah, really. monorail. Wait, this leads me to one very important. This is really my comment about the Simpsons marathon. Are the bleeding gums Murphy episodes? Uh, heartwarming or boring <laughs> well i think most of them are, are too early to really right. register much impression like the there's like a first season bleeding gums episode which is whatever but like i think it, it's very helpful in being formative for lisa's character um and every time they sort of there are echoes of and bleeding gums murphy makes a sort of background cameo in future seasons uh, i appreciate them more as sort of being intrinsic to who she is as a character but i don't think that they're particularly great episodes in and of themselves although when she plays she stands on her bed and she plays that that awful jazz song i'm into it <laughs> i like when he appears in the clouds like no. uh, mufasa yeah that was good um, um, but the other thing I want to say is that Simpsons, it was never niche. Of course, it was really popular, but it still felt kind of like a dorky thing, especially when you were older. It felt like a kind of dorky thing to do to love The Simpsons. And it might be now that... Um, all the dorks are online. Exactly. And, and I feel like I feel like the, the community... their own pop culture blog. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was yeah. like, is it cool? Or is it just that I've surrounded myself with dorks? And so it just seems like a huge echo chamber of dorkitude. Yep. I've been watching The Simpsons. So that might be it. I think, I think that's probably... <laughs> okay. I would be really... I, I bet there's a town out there in somewhere in America that's just... They've never seen The Simpsons. <laughs> it's like a Twilight Zone episode. You'll go and... You'll just be very confused and lost, and you'll have to spend all eternity there, probably. Simpson, Homer Simpson, he's the greatest guy in history. From the heart of Springfield, He's about to hit a chestnut tree. We just found out that Guardians of the Galaxy is officially the biggest hit of the summer. That puts both it and the Lego movie in the top grossing films of the year, I think in the top five spots. Uh, And Chris Pratt is the lead in both of those films. And he came sort of out of nowhere, out of not nowhere, obviously, if you're a Parks and Recreation fan. But in terms of films, you know, he did some supporting roles. But he just came right out of the gate swinging uh, with these lead roles. So uh, we wanted to open up the floor to talk about if there are any other actors that we've seen have this kind of meteoric rise, what we're worried about with Chris Pratt. Can he sustain this kind of level is it too early to worry about a backlash all these questions that come when someone we like 
become someone that the nation loves all of a sudden. So, <laughs> Did Golden Age stars have this kind of backlash? That's what I've been really wondering if, uh, if, if people were outraged when... I don't know. Well, it's not out. Brando I don't know. Exploded onto the scene. Yeah, I wonder if there because I, I feel like part of the Chris Pratt thing and is as a whole like I was into him before he was cool and now all you dummies like him like and it's not even like an ownership thing. It's like a oh it used to be cool to like Chris Pratt and now it's lame. It's like when people liked Garden State until it became popular and then they didn't like it anymore. <laughs> I liked I mean, Chris Pratt when he was pudgy and had a beard. So <laughs> I still like Chris Pratt will get pudgy again. I mark my word. This will yeah. not last. Um, I mean they are filming Parks and Rec so. Well, I mean, he's also going to be making Guardians too. Like, it'll be a couple years, but he will go back to his natural. He will shape. Brando out, and, and Jeff Wells fine. will. Oh, this is too Oh inside God, I haven't even read if Jeff Wells. Jeff Wells, been who about says this. that in Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> yeah. Chris Pratt is still on the edge of fat. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I don't know what sort of body dysmorphia issues you must have. Although when you talk about <laughs> celebrities having these sort of meteoric rises to fame, I think the, the most impressive one in recent memory, although it was as much of an act of, of timing as anything else, was Jessica Chastain a few years ago when she was mm. in you know, like nine movies in the course I of one year. I can't tell if she's actually famous yet, though. She's I, certainly meteoric rise in the prestige world in right. people who care about great film. But right. I don't know if – I mean, she turned down Iron Man 3. But the so difference never is also that fame, you know, superstardom, and this might be an entirely different conversation, but superstardom is not the same in these days as it used to be. I think that there are a lot of, depending on the budget, I think studios would be very reluctant to have Chris Pratt lead a movie that that was not a major franchise film. Like, I don't think that he, you know, he's not Tom Cruise just because he voiced somebody in the Lego movie and was the lead of Guardians of the Galaxy and the least interesting character. Um, you know, he's not, besides Zoe Saldana's character, no one can compete with that. But he's not going to be able to draw in the masses because he's Star-Lord. He's not Chris Pratt. Um, I don't know. Here's here's the internet barometer for me. Is when you can, and this is this is some inside boring inside baseball. But when you can put an actor's name in a headline without a qualifier. So before you used to have to say Parks and Recreations Chris Pratt, or you might think you have to say Guardians of the Galaxy's Chris Pratt, but you don't anymore. You can just say Chris Pratt, and the internet people know who you're talking about. I don't think that that means that he can open a non-franchise movie. I think it means I, he's a, I think he, it's, he's a name already and whether or not a studio wants to, or, you know, a filmmaker wants to put him in a film, like he's an, a name like Jennifer Lawrence became a name. You didn't have to say Hunger Games actress, Jennifer Lawrence, like he, because he has also got that personality in the interviews, you know, like he has that Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I'm just Jennifer Chris Pratt. You don't think he's in his Jennifer Lawrence moment? No, right? Jennifer Lawrence won an Oscar. She crossed the into the zeitgeist in a way that even starring in a Marvel movie doesn't necessarily allow you to do, even if it's a very Are successful Are you saying one. Chris Pratt won't win an Oscar for Jurassic World? Chris I Pratt am, didn't do his that. winter's bone. Yeah, uh, I, I, Chris I liked Pratt him is not in Moneyball. A fraction <laughs> as famous. Uh, he's great in Moneyball. He's really but good he's in not Moneyball. A fraction he's as also in Zero Dark Thirty. He's been, two, uh, he's been in two Best Picture nominees. Yeah, you forget that he was that in And her. Her was not. Oh, fuck. Yeah, three. It doesn't help that he. As far as I know, the five year engagement is still going and he's still in it. That's how long it was. And Delivery Man was also an Oscar nominee, right? He was in Delivery Man? That came out. It was just um, an acid. No, no, you're right. You're Eric, you're, you're right that that Jennifer Lawrence had had another level, which is she had she had she was like the hybrid of Jessica Chastain and Chris Pratt. She yeah, had the prestige. 
I mean, this isn't a reflection on Chris Pratt so much as it is just the, the current economy of celebrity in Hollywood. Because I think, you know, in a previous version of our world, Chris Pratt would be able to open anything. But I think, you know, given the the budgets of these things and the franchise-driven mentality, it really doesn't matter. I mean, there's o- there's but only that doesn't so mean very he's small not handful. a star. Even though the definition of star is a lot weaker than what it used to be, that doesn't mean that he doesn't qualify for our current definition. I don't think Jessica, I don't think Jennifer Lawrence could single-handedly open anything. Oh no, he's definitely he's definitely a star. I just don't, I just don't know what but that means necessarily. I, I agree that there's some sort of di- there's a difference here between Chastain or Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt. It seems to be that we're in a time where there aren't male stars there aren't no one's like there's bradley cooper lupita Lupita became such a a name in in during the fall and winter of last year that we can't wait to see what she does next and she seems to have crossed over into the mainstream um you know from this uh, film that shouldn't have crossed over to the mainstream which really didn't it wasn't that 12 years a slave wasn't that successful of a movie i think it made maybe like 50 million dollars but she she became a fashion icon she was all over the place everyone wanted to find out what lupita was doing next and that added to her star power right and that made her we want to see you know uh her bit role in god what is that non-stop non-stop you know we just want a taste (laughs) of whatever we want all her lines on that no but i mean i don't know if it adds to what she does or not but she's clearly on a different level than even Chris Pratt right now, I think. Wait, and, really? Um, uh, I, you I, are I do. High I, 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 off your yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there are like ninety percent of Americans <laughs> have no idea who Lupita Nyong'o is. Yeah, no. but it just seems there just seems to be something different between these women and what it means to be a star. Well, okay, so and, let's, and, look and, male stars have let's look at like Bradley Cooper. Let's look at Bradley Cooper, who I would argue is one of the biggest male stars. Currently. But can he open a movie? Is a and is a total failure now. I mean, Hangover reflection era. On how, you know, no, no, but wait, 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 wait until I finish. Which is that he started with. You know, when he came back sort of from his first try at this, it was A-Team and Hangover, right? And then he's in David O. Russell movies. Like, so who's to say what Chris Pratt is going to do next? Um, I think, you know, if we want to talk specifically about Chris Pratt, I think he is super unmemorable. Like, I I have, like, a little bit of a, of, of a face... Ehrlich. A face <laughs> blindness problem uh, to begin with. Oh, but is he or Sam I, Worthington? I... Yeah, but yeah, to me, he's not all that. Like he's he's. I think he is very serviceable, and then some in Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think his voice performance is not lacking for anything in uh, in the Lego Movie. But if we were in a Starbucks and there were twenty people behind us in line, I wouldn't be able to tell you which one of them was Chris Pratt. Like what? they all like he. He looks like just a, well, one of them is uh, Lupita Nyong'o, and it's not him. So okay. <laughs> he looks. He looks like a. I'm starting to think that you are the heir to the Wells throne. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, a, a you know a. Especially How do you not like Burt Macklin? Who's Burt Macklin? <laughs> exactly. His, you are you're not even on the Chris Pratt. Yeah, yeah, well, he, no. he just looks like a generic white guy that, like, you know, I would design in a lab for. Uh, but that for me doesn't to be. mean that he can't be a giant star. I mean, plenty of people like no, Bradley no, Cooper looks like a giant. Yeah, Bradley guy. Cooper looks like an emu, but also just like a white guy. So who is Bradley Cooper? I have no idea who we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> people are. I, you're making them up. Uh, I think Lupita Nyong'o has much greater potential, certainly, than Chris Pratt and Bradley Cooper, probably combined. But this um, is weird apples and oranges, because what's going on with Lupita is not what's going on with Chris Pratt, where yeah, we're talking Lupita's about, like... not the... getting the lead in Jurassic World. Right, yeah, and... I mean, but... Well, though, she does have a role in Star Wars, but... Yeah, but behind how many he's white guys safe. anyway. I think he's now... He's earned himself the right to be comfortably and without that much, um, you know, hand-wringing placed into any major franchise role that he wants 
and uh, and that's great, and that's a level that very few male stars can attain. But um, yeah, I mean, I think when we just talk about him as, as, as someone who's experienced this meteoric rise, it makes me miss the uh, the real movie star. You know, like even Will Smith in his day, um, who was a one man force, even if his movies weren't always right. so so great. And you know, Tom Cruise is sort of the last of his kind, and he's had difficulty over recent years opening films. But they still, all those films still open on the strength or lack thereof of Tom Cruise as an image, as a brand. And Chris Pratt is not a brand; he is a uh, a tool that is a cog in the machine that runs these it giant does, franchises. It does to, feel that way. You're asking it, him to be the kind of movie star who doesn't exist. Like, no one's going to be able to do that. But no so one that's is going to do what you're asking for. So, so this is a real question about male movie stardom. I think it's specifically a male Yeah, movie why is it gendered, though, for right you? Now. Like, do you feel like Jennifer Lawrence... Who is our... Because I think this is a moment for women where they can really excel and be stars and, uh, and like... I don't know. Well, now you're just carrying favor. Thing. I just feel like I want men and women to have that kind of same glow. Like I want to see a male star not just be a faceless cog in the machine, as as David's describing. Um, I, just because, I mean, we, we we want to champion women and we want to have them up there and we want them to do any kind of role. And I feel like that is becoming more and more possible. Thank God. Like we need that. Um, I just want these male counterparts or these male heroes who are going to inject themselves in these movies to be interesting and to be uh, to glow in that same it's way. It's true. It, it does feel you like a gender. It is kind of crazy to me that John Hamm isn't a movie star. Like it is kind of very. And he's such a failure of a movie star. Very, like, well, he's not a movie star, and that's crazy. It's just yeah. I I, just, I think like you just can't have both. You can't have this franchise mentality where every movie is a sequel or a prequel or a reboot of these things, and still have movie stars in the way that we or at least but I even, like even to have see them. Chris Pratt like photoshopped into Indiana Jones. And I'm just like, what? This is not a good idea. This is not the charisma. This is not the physicality. Uh, I don't, I, I don't disagree know why with that. that. But what? I don't disagree with that. But I, I think that you know, it's it's just it's they're completely incompatible ways of looking at the business model. Um, and I, I just don't think that movie stars exist in a meaningful way anymore. Well, Look at what, the judge. Okay, so nobody what about gives, he's a fucking Iron Man? Yeah, nobody, nobody gives, nobody a, gives shit a shit about, about the, the judge. judge. Yeah. Nobody what? gives a shit when he's not. In a fucking Marvel and movie because he's not. What he's about a movie McConaughey? Star, but he's not. What he's about an, McConaughey? He's a franchise star. But McConaughey went straight to television, and that's been his biggest success, and he hasn't had anything else since what? having this giant. What? His biggest success post Oscar. I mean, that's like that's the thing that. That's he did. too soon to talk his about. His biggest no. success post Oscar <laughs> is like three months but, after Oscar. But do you think that Magic Mike was sold on McConaughey? Well, McConaughey had a had a moment, and he might still be in that moment. It remains to be seen. But he had a moment that had very little to do with. Um, the, the nature of the work that he was doing at a certain point when it picked up momentum and just became about like the all right, all right, all right, and the reconnaissance and this whole idea that sort of uh, superseded him. I think that is very rare and really doesn't last. Uh, and he may end up paying for that after you know roles like Interstellar dry up. I mean, who knows? But um, well, he's uh, so the rumor, the big rumor today or over the weekend was that he's circling a Stephen King property. Which is an interesting. Oh wait, what? what? The What's stand, the I think it was. Oh, is it... really? Yeah. But at so... the same, like even then, that 
the sell that is not McConaughey, it's Stephen King. Like the, the right. properties are with the seller, and that's uh, that's a problem that's bigger than any of these stars. I think David is just right. And is that true of DiCaprio <laughs> and of Christian Bale? No, DiCaprio is different. He just, DiCaprio, DiCaprio doesn't a have a franchise. Star. Okay. DiCaprio is a movie star, he, and McConaughey is only able to have the reconnaissance uh, by definition of the word reconnaissance, <laughs> which you can find in Merriam-Webster, because he's been around for so long. Because he's not Chris Pratt. Because he has this trajectory and this clear narrative that everybody enjoys reading, like. Uh, their favorite book. I mean, it's 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 the same thing. But like that's that. totally undervaluing what he brings to a movie. Oh, I, mean, I don't think at David's some point not... we do separate the yeah. stardom outside. Let Katie world, interrupt the you because that's not what I'm saying at all. David's not talking <laughs> about stardom as something that's on screen where you see someone, you look at someone on screen, and you're saying they have the charisma of a movie star. He's talking about the way someone operates as a movie star in an economy where yeah. a movie uh, dies or lives based on them, and they can get movies greenlit and all of that stuff. I mean, stars can still get movies greenlit in a way because there's so many people working in Hollywood who still believe in the star system as it used to be but there's just nobody who people are going to go out and say I'm going to go see that movie because Chris Pratt is in it or Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth or fucking anybody but Tom Cruise and Leonardo DiCaprio and a couple uh, you know Denzel Washington and Will Smith these holdovers and a lot of that is now overseas like and I just don't think anyone's going to be able to catch on in that same way because it's not possible anymore yeah DiCaprio just you know I'll take every opportunity to give DiCaprio extra credit for doing a tightrope act unlike anything that I've seen in contemporary Hollywood where he has just been able to be on the top of his game for so long and always doing high quality products and, and still um, not having to give in to the, the current machine to maintain his movie stardom. And I don't know. Great Gatsby is a he had to give up pasta, so... He will have to give up pasta, which is a great sacrifice. <laughs> but he's had the best no summer one should ever, have to so do it's that. worth it. No. He loves pasta, guys, so it's a big deal. I don't know. But yeah, you look at The Great Gatsby in May and then The Wolf of Wall Street in December of the same year. Yeah, he had a great uh, year. And both those movies being enormous successes. Uh, it's it's impressive. So yeah. why so why does Tom Cruise get this legacy of the last movie star when Leonardo DiCaprio obviously came after him? That's interesting. Well, oh, Tom Cruise is because he does blockbusters. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, he does and, a different kind of movie. Yeah, um, DiCaprio is still doing the prestige pictures at the end of the year. But prestige pictures that make a really significant amount of money because he's yeah. in them, which is not. It, I mean, I don't know that anybody else really has that ability. Well, yeah, because I mean, The Wolf of Wall Street is uh, <laughs> is yeah. it's a prestige picture because of the pedigree of its director and the, its release date. But it's, so if we take the quality, if we take the gender insane. out of it, though, would someone like Jennifer Lawrence qualify under your you know strictures, which is that? Someone goes to see this movie because it's a Jennifer Lawrence movie. It doesn't matter if it's American Hustle, which they wouldn't have seen. It's got their girl, Jennifer Lawrence, in it. So they're going to go see it. They saw her in the preview. She looks amazing. She's Jennifer Lawrence. They're going to go see it. I don't know. I feel like these stardom is really just a buffer for um, a concept right now. I mean, I think you know it helped Gravity. People got excited about Gravity because of what it was, and then there was sort of the added benefit of and the familiarity and comfort of seeing George Clooney and the storylines that go along with Sandra Bullock. Um, but then I think back to when my favorite film of all time, Hates, House at the End of the Street, opened. <laughs> uh, you know, around the same time as. Uh, as the Hunger Games, and it bombed horribly, and she was, you know, on the but cover of every magazine. Like that was just at the beginning of still, her rise. Yeah. I don't think you can. Yeah, but you can't knock her for that loss. But I, I, but I, Serena will probably never get released because even though Bradley Cooper oh. and Jennifer Lawrence, I know, and I'm, I really want to see this movie, but it will. I don't think will. anybody has faith. I think if people had faith in Jennifer Lawrence being able to sell it just by being Jennifer Lawrence, it would have gotten picked up already. Well, 
No, that's not true. I don't believe that if it's horrible. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I if it's know. as bad yeah. as people keep murmuring about. Mm-hmm. But uh, just to contend kind of with what David was saying, I do think that people go to see movies because Jennifer Lawrence is in them specifically. Um, having just spent the week in a house full of, of women reading magazines and talking about celebrities, I just I feel like, and, and Katie and Joanna, maybe you have better insight to this, I feel like women are more tapped into stardom, not to make this a gender thing again, but yes, to make it a gender thing again. They just, I feel like women are more in tune with no, that's his- what star power means. That's historically and, and true. Like women have always been the ones boring. who read the star magazines and everything. It's not that men yeah, are- men don't have like a fashion thing to bring. They don't have uh, they don't have an aura anymore. And I and Chris, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Chris Pratt has no, no because he like doesn't. Chris Pratt can go like I feel like there are other there's this other side of stardom, and maybe this is my like internet tunnel vision. But there's this other side of stardom, which is what adorable anecdote can you bring to the Tonight Show? Can you be Emma Stone? Or are you, like, someone who is more talented maybe than Emma Stone, but not as charming? And Chris Pratt is the Emma Stone brand of celebrity. He's the Jennifer Lawrence brand of celebrity, where he's going to say something adorable and doofy, and everyone's going to be able to watch it the next day on YouTube. That is its own cachet. That's its own the problem thing. Is, and I'm saying it should like be, able to, but I'm saying no, it is. No one seems to be able to tap that. Like, what makes these people charming? I don't get a lot of that in movies. And, and Emma Stone's a perfect example. I think Emma Stone and Chris Pratt are kind of on the same level here. And um, I don't think anyone's really used Emma Stone that effectively, as effectively as she carries herself in, like, a, a, a painstaking Jimmy Fallon interview or something. Yeah, I'd agree like with that. You know that. what I mean? Which is really interesting. Why not? Uh, and I'm not a fan of Easy A, which I know a lot of people are, and I understand why? But, what about uh, Easy E? B. Easy E. <laughs> the, the rapper. Oh yeah. <laughs> not a fan of. I'm not anything with Easy. It's just too easy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm waiting for Chris Pratt to be funny or Chris Pratt to be adorable and charming and have a great leading role and like something that'll beat him up a little bit. Yeah, actually, when people threw him in Indiana Jones, I'm like, I don't want that movie again. Obviously, I don't know why people would. But if maybe if he got something that actually felt physical, that's the thing with Guardians of the Galaxy. He beefed up for pretty much nothing, as opposed to Tom Cruise in something like Edge of Tomorrow, where he's getting his ass whooped. By uh, himself. That was really fun to see, because you, you get to see this guy put himself into the movie. And that, there's not enough of that uh, with Chris Pratt right now. And maybe Jurassic World, with its uh, analog technology, its, its practical effects, will kind of kick Chris Pratt's ass. That's what he needs. I wouldn't right get now. too excited about analog effects being promised. It seems like something. Oh, dear. I don't know. I just to to like. I watched. You know, we'll talk about this movie on like three successive episodes of the show. But I've been watching uh, God Help the Girl, the Bell and Sebastian Stewart Murdoch's yeah, musical. You're, you're blowing this one up. And uh, I, yeah, I watched that movie. And Emily Browning, who you guys might know from you know, Sucker Punch and from Sleeping Beauty, which I don't think anyone would know. Classic. <laughs> um, and uh, but, the uh, Lemony Snicket movie. And the Lemony Snicket movie. I watched her performance in this movie and I see a movie star. I mean, I think she radiates a certain kind of charisma and and, um, and star power that... Uh, but I don't see her ever actually being a movie star in the broader definition of the world in today's you know Hollywood climate. I just don't see it happening because I don't I don't know. I just I, I think that star power now probably exists in little isolated pockets, and in the relationships are more between those actors and the people who vibe on their particular energy than they are uh, in this sort of more culturally uh, deeper way that they they were 
once upon a time um, and until the decline of franchise filmmaking uh, star power will not exist in the same way as it did again do you think that the decline of franchise filmmaking will ever happen uh, Steven Spielberg thinks it does and he's a lot closer to, to this than I am I sure hope it does but not in a way that that you know sounds the death gong for the movies <laughs> as long as as long as people uh, like rats on a ship scurry out and find new better opportunities then I hope it happens but uh, not next year it'll happen, <laughs> it'll happen after no, that. I'm excited for Jurassic World let me just say that I want to go out on a positive note here and say is it because I, of the, ja- the Jessica Chastain knockoff Bryce Dallas Howard oh do it? not talk about yeah, no, my Bryce me. Dallas Howard Bryce, Bryce I, Dallas I, Howard, I love her Jessica love Chastain her. is a Bryce Dallas Howard knockoff I adore both of those women equally. Jurassic World has a good cast, except I am not on the Jake Johnson train. So that what? does not have that going for I'm me. not I'm, on the uh, shitty safety not guaranteed director train. Yes, but. exactly. That's probably the hard part. I will not have me. this talk of Jake Johnson, though. Yeah. Leave him hey, Beatty Wong's in Jurassic World. That's what I'm there for. Perfect. Is he playing his same character from Jurassic Park? <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> so Beatty Wong made it off the island? I didn't know that. Beatty Wong is apparently the only person who comes back. Yeah, I don't know what the story is there. Hold on to your but butts. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday for a pre-Labor Day review episode with a handful of things coming out in these dog days of summer. Not Sin City 2, I promise. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write all across the internet and try and put everything on my uh, Tumblr, mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And uh, remember, if you have thoughts about this, if you have criticisms, if you want to yell, if you want to cheer, go to our website, fightinginthewarm.com. You can leave comments and share the episodes on Twitter and that sort of thing, and, uh, and you can interact. Fightinginthewarm.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor at large of Little White Lies magazine. You can also find me writing on Dissolve and Complex and the AV Club. And you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. And I'm Victorian Corner. And you can find all of us together uh, forever. Friends forever. <laughs> on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. So we got a comment on Facebook recently of someone wondering where the hell we were. And I, uh, I thought that was a good point. So, yeah. hello, person. We will use Facebook more. <laughs> Um, I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeWroteThis. I do one other podcast about television called The Station Agents. And if you want to leave a message uh, with your best Simpsons voice impression, you can call 914-410-6450 and do an Apu or something like that for us. That's a nice Dave Gonzalez-style idea right there. You were channeling him well. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can also find me at vanityfair.com or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Ooh.